0: Hi, guys. This episode of the Campbell Academy podcast is an interview with Professor John Gibson. He was a mentor and hero of mine, both in my early career and entirely through my career, and has been one of the most influential people in my career. Um, It's a three-part podcast, we hope, because we hope to to interview him in a few weeks' time again and have him back a little few weeks after that. Because on Monday, after we record this, he begins to walk with his wife from Lands to John Groats in a project called One Man... Walking a Million Talking. He is doing that to launch and fundraise for the foundation that he has him and his wife have developed, which is called the Canmore Trust, which is the canmoretrust.co.uk. And that came about after his 23-year-old son Cameron took his own life on the 19th of October, 2019. And that, was, that happened without any warning and with no apparent reason at all and obviously is the most devastating thing that one can possibly imagine i think and and so we've tried to support and help that but aside from that what i wanted to do in this week of weeks of john's where he is preparing for the walk and speaking to so many people and has generated such an extraordinary amount of interest is i wanted to take him back out of that and to remind him of all the things that he has done which are utterly incredible for the benefit of dentistry and for the people within dentistry before the horrible events of 2019. And so if you are, if you've ever had someone inspire you in your work, or you're lacking someone inspiring you in your work, that the 40 minutes of that podcast could be some of the most important things you ever listened to in, in the description of what John has done in his career and where he's got to. And so I hope that you enjoy it. I hope you get something from it. And then I hope that you may explore the Canmore Trust or even the dental well-being conference that john is organizing in glasgow later in the year and if you watch this afterwards then explore the Canmore trust hope you enjoy Okay, so hello everybody. This is episode one of the next step of the of the Campbell Academy podcast, which has existed in various forms and guises that people have looked at, and has a very small but highly esteemed group of people who are interested in it. And we try to do cool things. And, and this is going to be part, this is going to be part a first part of a three part episode to effectively relaunch this in one way or another. And I'm going to chat to John Gibson, who I've known for the entirety of my professional career and about 10 years ago a little bit less I wrote a blog about the three people who influenced my career the most and John was one of the people that I wrote about in the blog although it has taken me a very many years to call him John and not Dr Gibson then Professor Gibson then Sir Lord Gibson or whatever so John um it is Always an extraordinary thrill for me to speak to you. I always feel like I am privileged to get any access to your time. Now I'm always in awe of you because of our relationship. First of all, I know you're really busy with what's coming up, which we'll talk to at the end about the end of this. And I really appreciate your time. All right. So what I'd like, what I'd kind of like for the guys that get hold of this or see it or hear it, is I'd like them to get a story and a message from someone who has achieved an extraordinary amount of Mm things throughout their career and their life. And because I kept off the back of this today, mental crazy day, I've just run in here. I've just been teaching 16, whatever they're called now. They were VTs in our day, but I think they're DFTs or something else now. But they're first year qualified dentists just at the end of their first year of qualification. They're all 23, which is fascinating. And you're trying to say to them, if I snap my fingers, you'll be 50. Like me, I was sat there a minute ago. And that's what we feel like, and they don't appreciate that. But they were desperate to share lessons and experiences of things that have happened to me in the last 27 years and first of all if you can just do the f- relatively short potted history of the Ayrshire upbringing for you and your brother I think it wasn't it who both have become extraordinarily
1: successful. That's great to say thanks for the invitation to be with you it's great and similarly I do in high esteem as a student that I taught and has gone on to achieve wonderful and remarkable things so it's a two-way street for me to sit with you tonight. So I grew up in Colmarn in Ayrshire. Colmarnock uh, do have a football team, just in case anyone was wondering whether that's the same Colmarnock, but we'll call them Colmarnock FC, just in case you didn't realise that they do actually have a football team. But my, one of my problems was that I was an Air United supporter. My father was a lifelong season ticket holder for Air United at Somerset Park. So growing up in Colmarnock, um, I was forced to... Familiarly to be an Air United supporter. So I got my head kicked in on a regular basis in Comarnock because I was an Air United supporter. And I think it probably created in me some degree of resilience. But I grew up in a big council estate in Comarnock, a new council estate. We were the first people to occupy our house. We'd moved from the central belt of Scotland, uh, from Cumbernauld down to Comarnock. My father was made redundant and was seeking employment. So we moved my brother and myself and my mum and dad to. To, Marmot, to this big, sprawling new housing estate. It was a remarkable new experience because although it was a housing estate, there were green fields and trees and other things round about. And so I started to explore the Ayrshire countryside and developed a real love for the great outdoors, for nature, for birds, ornithology in particular, something that I still have a total passion for. And then I went to a large comprehensive school, both primary and secondary and had an interesting experience educationally in a school where there were lots of social challenges and lots of difficulties and yet my brother and i seemed to leave with a decent collection of hires. and he went off to university to do commercial stuff and business and i nearly did languages i did six-year studies french and still have a total love for french language and for french history french art And I might even end up my life living in a little place in the south of France. I don't know that decision's yet to be made. And then I went off to university and did, first of all, dentistry in Glasgow. And then I decided, because I was inspired by a number of individuals at dental school in this new subject of oral medicine, that I would go off and then do medicine. So as a dual-qualified person, came back into a lecturing post in Glasgow, having done some basic house jobs in medicine in Glasgow. And then did my PhD. And then at the same time, did my higher training in oral medicine and became a senior lecturer in Glasgow and then headed to various other institutions. I think I'm the only person in Scotland that has actually worked in all four dental schools in Scotland, not simultaneously, but at, at various times. And that's been a great journey. And my greatest privilege, of course, and this very sincerely, has been to in some way I hope positively influence a number of generations of dental students and that's a very special job that's a very special role and I've loved every second
0: You know that if the end of Schindler's List which I'm sure you've seen the movie when they put the rocks down Yes, yes. So if, there were, if there were a Gibson's List movie the rocks the pile of rocks would be enormous and you don't <laughs> appreciate that but you, you whenever you travel and so you're on the wall of our teaching bit and the practice of our, our Hall of Fame Whenever people say that, they go, oh, my God, let me tell you a story about John Gibson. He did this for me. He taught me this. He did that. It happens all the time. And that has to be when you reach a stage in your career and in your life, when you're comfortable and you don't have to worry about where your breakfast is coming from and that kind of stuff. It has to be one of the most extraordinary privileges to have of having achieved that for anybody a privilege privilege is the wrong word but the re- rewards for the things that you did the right way and that, that, that is that's it, it is quite an extraordinary effect it really is you like the pie piper I'm interested into who the people because um, I'm quite interested in the medicine, journey I was explaining that to the guys I was talking to today and uh, Early on, I'm interested in who
1: inspired you and why so a number of people inspired me and probably the major inspiring figure in my life was actually Professor Sir David Mason who sadly passed away earlier this year and David Mason was a remarkable man and he achieved all the firsts so he was the dean of a dental school he was the dean in Glasgow when I was a student he was the dean of a faculty of dentistry in a Royal College the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Glasgow and then he went on to be the president of the General Dental Council. Um, And uh, as well as that, he was one of the first, if not the first chairs of oral medicine in the United Kingdom and indeed internationally. And he was just a decent man. And we used to laugh together because he said to me, I, I was a student rep on the education committee in Glasgow in years three, four and five. And you would turn up for a staff student liaison committee meeting and he would be cheering it and you would just have a chat with him at the start of what do you plan to do. And I said, I want your job. And we would laugh about that. And he said, we'll need to learn to play golf because David Mason was a scratch golfer at one point. And it's one of the things that I haven't done in life is learn to play golf um, because I'm not actually a very good sportsman, to be t- truth be told. Golf, oh, no, not sports, a sport. it's okay. <laughs> a pastime. It's like that That's the number of people have turned up the As a, so
0: This we're, we're recording this on the 9th. It's a very topical conversation with what's going on with Live Golf and the Saudi Arabian Investment Fund, but we'll not touch so on that. that in this podcast. It's a different
1: podcast. So David Mason was an inspiration and then Philip Lamy was a senior lecturer in oral medicine in Glasgow at the time and Philip really inspired me. Philip is one of the smartest people I've ever worked with. He had an encyclopedic knowledge of medicine and oral medicine. And he was brilliant with patience, absolutely brilliant with patience. And I learned so much from working with him. So those two individuals are the people who really inspired me.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. But what's interesting about when we return back to that in our own careers and we look at people and we say, which ones are the ones? There's so many people that seemed to manage to have a grasp to be brilliant across the board. Phil Laney was brilliant across the board at whatever he seemed to turn his hand to. He wrote some poetry, didn't he? And he wrote, and he, there there's so many of these guys who, who at that stage, who were leading the sort of renaissance of the development of dentistry as a profession, really, moving it really on as custodians of the profession who were utterly magnificent,
1: weren't they? And it's a great point, Colin, because I think one of the things that dentistry is lacking at the moment is that we've become a bit great. And it, I would love to see us in, in dentistry, see, to come again with, um, these polyfunctional individuals, polymaths yeah. individuals that are just fantastic at so many things because they are, by design, inspirational. This is great because this is the type of thing that I
0: wanted to get into. Because the problem is now, as you speak to the guys today and you say, who inspires you? And they say, don't really know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you can yeah. see that. And you can see... So the question we ask these guys this morning is, what do you want to do when you grow up? And they say... And you're going... Jesus, you've got the keys to the kingdom. You're sat here, you're 23, you're so fit and healthy, you're so intelligent, you're so beautiful, you you just take the world by the horns. But they seem lacking in people to, to, to direct them in a way that that maybe we had. Because we I had the John Gibson. So you're whatever inspiration you gain from David Mason and Phil Lamy, you distilled down and bottled down into this massive class A drug of inspiration that you were able to sprinkle round dental school so that everybody would go, oh my God, I want to be like him. I want to be, I want to do oral medicine. I want, we all want to be oral physicians because if we're oral physicians, we can be a bit like John Gibson. And that, you would have been, yesterday, uh, Tuesday, you're so proud of me, honestly. I did, I had a patient referred for facial pain. And I don't tell anybody that I have a little tiny niche interest in facial pain because you don't want that to be known.
1: I think you just told everyone,
0: Colin, I think that's it. But the, I did a John Gibson I tell them the nurses I'm working with, this is a John Gibson consultation. It's getting patient in. It's not difficult because you inspired me to show me how to do that. And so my fear is that I see you and one or two other people who I hold in really high regard and they're all going and gone and I don't see who's next. I don't see them. I don't see who's leaving the associations or the colleges or the... And I don't see these guys as being guys who see that their job as the custodian of the profession.
1: But hang on a wee minute, because there's an important point here, isn't there? And that is that maybe the issue is that the individuals in the generation beyond me have got their work-life balance sorted out. Because to do the things that I did in my professional life, I worked 16 hours a day sometimes to do it. And I do wonder if our expectations are driven by a past epoch um, and that the new folks, and maybe perhaps rightly, are saying the professional aspects are fine, but actually there, there are other bits of life. I've got family, I've got cycling, I've got golf, I've got whatever it might be. And so I do wonder if, because we certainly have, we, we're still getting unbelievably bright people into dentistry. I and mean, they are the brightest of bright people. But I sometimes wonder if that's part of the danger of dentistry, because dentistry at the end of the day is a practical skill Yes, there is the art of dentistry, which is the interpersonal stuff and the ability to take a fantastic history from a patient and just get on the level with them. So there's the art of doing it. There's also the science and the practical skill of doing it as well. And for the most part, and let's not fool ourselves, for the most part, dentistry is a practical skill. And therefore, I think we're bringing incredibly bright people in. Teaching them some practical skills, and then suddenly you go, and they're saying a bit bored, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's absolutely right. What's interesting though is that my wife is a nurse, and she, nursing has changed dramatically. Where has these extraordinarily bright people who've got degrees and masters, but they can't make a bed, right? And they don't see that they don't see care for a patient, and so the world has developed, hasn't it, to the point where. People want to be, if you take the bright people and they're very bright and you give them the really bright jobs to do of the developing this and developing that, they don't really want to care for people because that takes too long and that's low level. Do you know what I mean? And so it takes rare individuals who actually thrive on that interpersonal reaction. You see an atypical facial pain patient A, as a fellow human in distress and B, as a fantastic intellectual puzzle to solve then you've won, haven't you? Because you're getting stimulated while you're helping somebody. But if you don't see if what if the job that you're doing is us and not another one of those things to do, and it is difficult, but it, it's just it's it's I guess if we we must we are responsible for seeking out inspiration too, and the guys the ones that we the ones that are left are saying actually where are the good guys we have to find them and we have to boost them up and say well, you're great why don't you do this why don't you do that and and I get the work life balance thing but I, I don't see a lot of dentists with a balance yeah so I don't see that I see a lot I think. In truth, what I think is that dentists wanted more and more money. And so they want, so they work on the fee-earning things, like the law, okay? And, and so the stuff that's not fee-earning, they don't see I, Consciously or unconsciously, and it's not a dig at people, but it's just a case of you don't get paid for that, or you don't get paid very much. Or, and, it, and, and I think that became a real big thing that directed people away. I think before, people were happy with that salary level that they were getting, however they got it, and they had time to do other things. Yeah. And there's less of that.
1: But take your atypical facial pain patient into the current payment structure within the National Health Service and anywhere in the United Kingdom, and it's, it's a nightmare. Yeah, they're not, I'm not because... getting,
0: they're not getting treated. They're not getting treated. But well, for goodness sake, if we, go, if we end up in, in any way going, going uh, politically down that route in this, we're done for the whole podcast. So I'm going to deflect you off that and straight into when we met. Okay? So we've had your history, yeah. of which was then interrupted by a Awazak, and in, in 1993 who returned from his elective study in dallas chronically unwell and met his girlfriend at the time who said and it was in the middle of the holidays really the people were doing their elective fourth year students were doing their electives in the union, and everybody was off and i arrived back with swimmers ear year and this an ear infection from drinking too much was on my elective and she said oh, you have to see this guy he, john you have to go and see this guy john gibson he's fantastic everybody's talking about him and so I just like turned up and like the classic and broke and fixed me and that's how I first met you was in that circumstance and that's happened to me on a couple of occasions I can name one other one particularly but where I've met somebody for the first time and I thought fuck they're good <laughs> as a an interpersonal healthcare professional my Dunstan one of my really great friends who works with me now treated me first as a physio and I met him when I was in distress and I thought I want to be like you. And I met a dentist in Italy in a very sad circumstances for me when my son broke his tooth, but I'd lost one of my friends and I was a mess. And this young dentist, just, I wanted to be him. He was so magnificent. And you were like that. And so we shared a time at Glasgow together where I went through final year as you, you and you were my one of my teachers and mentors. And then I joined the staff as a house officer and I did the oral medicine job. And we had some fun. And that I certainly I did. You were, I certainly did it.
1: We had were, some great luck.
0: You were doing your PhD upstairs and Damien Petrucci and I, a friend of mine, were studying for our respectively second FDS and I was studying for first primary FDS every night of the week weren't we and none of us had any work-life balance but we ate a lot of Chinese allegedly Chinese food and so that the stat that then that sort of the the sort of bonds were made of people that just got on and and I made some horrendous mistakes in oral medicine most notably the what we'll call the formalin incident which we might come back to later please don't but we were but I was looked after and I remember an incident where we I had a patient and who who was eating, poor poor, poor old soul, who brought some scones and crumpets. I don't know if you remember that. And
1: I remember, I talk about it all the time on your legs. Yeah,
0: and, and I ended up in a cupboard, tears streaming down my face crying, and then was told off by Damien, who was my SHO, because you're David Felix, the consultant would go mental, and then Damien came in and, saw it, and he was crying in the cupboard, and then you were in, and then we got roasted by David Felix, and then he was in, and then the four of us were in the cupboard, because <laughs> it was just so comical. And so we—that I think people who haven't worked in a hospital environment like that and gone to the surgical jobs and all that stuff—it's like the House of God by Samuel Shem, that book that everybody had to read. It's but this is going to hurt. It's like all of that culture. It's, it's that yes. its like a war zone at times. It feels and like you're everybody's on 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 the same team.
1: But can I stop you there for a moment because what you have just described there is very much the educational apprenticeship model, which is something I absolutely endorse. So. Some of the best conversations that we would have had and some of the best handing over of information to you would have been when we were eating Chinese food yeah, or when yeah. we were having coffee in the canteen. So the apprenticeship model means that you spend, not 24-7, but you spend your working time and some time beyond that with this group of yeah. experiencing individuals. and you, With your firm yeah, effect. Right, absolutely. Yeah. and. and and we don't do that anymore. And, and I think that's one of the great losses. And I would, without
0: with probably hint of irony, we have tried to replicate that model in our work. And we have an MDT on a Tuesday. We have this group, this camaraderie of junior to senior clinicians in the practice, and it's so special because otherwise the industry is isolated. But we had that. We worked together for that period, and then I went on my merry way to England, and you then continued in Glasgow and worked your way through, finish your PhD. And then moved on. But through various highlights of your career, the the two other things I wanted to pick out were you ended up latterly at the GDC, one of the chairs of conduct.
1: I'm glad you clarified that, yes, because I... (laughs) Not like me.
0: No, yeah. There's there's
1: another story of ending up at the GDC.
0: Not like me in my stripy uniform with my number on my chest. No, it, it was... Yes, and so that... So to see you in that role, through what was a difficult time with the GDC, let's be clear was at least reassuring and to know that, because you had know your personality and your ethos, And but it was that was a whole challenging time with the GDC, but extraordinary work experience, extraordinary life experience for you, I guess.
1: Fantastic, absolutely. I look back on the 10 years at the General Dental Council in fitness to practice as being one of my pivotal learning times. And it actually gave me real insight into the issues that dentists face in, in practice, real insight into some of the problems that dentists face and staff beyond dentists, nursing staff and hygienists and therapists and technicians, because it's tough working in the dental team. It's not an easy job. And so I I got some insight because I was this academic that worked in an ivory tower and hadn't been in general dental practice for many years. I was at one point, but hadn't been for many years. And just hearing the stories and understanding the stories, um, fascinating. And it it developed in me a, a real sense of, empathy for the profession and some anger as well because we have some individuals in the profession who persistently do things very badly and very wrongly. They're not big in number, but they are there. And we sometimes have to pick ourselves up and say, son, you can do better. You have to do better. So yeah, a real learning experience and seeing the the vast panoply of professional life across all aspects of the dental team. And from that,
0: not immediately from that, but because of the experience of that and obviously the rest of the things you had done, you were then invited to join, well, Dental Protection and MPS, effectively, because you, you chaired the Dental Protection and the board of MPS. I did, yep. And th- that, so that is an extraordinary level of leadership and an extraordinary, extraordinarily wealthy and powerful organisation,
1: isn't it? Yes, one of the biggest, if not the biggest dental indemnity organisations or medical indemnity and medical and dental indemnity organisations across the world and hugely influential. Yeah. yeah, and you enjoyed that? Um, I did. I learned a huge amount from my time there and I learnt about the commercial side of things as well you know, yeah. and making sure that books balanced at the end of the day and again, seeing the difficulties that Doctors and dentists got themselves into, and also started to understand in a way that I had picked up at the General Dental Council how much the system is influential in either augmenting problems or dissipating problems. And that's for a whole other podcast because we have um, institutional difficulties, but we have difficulties at every level within the organizations that we work in. Um, and seeing how they play out and how individuals interplay with those organizations and with systems is a fascinating stuff.
0: it's so you would come to us and when we run our business teaching you would do leadership stuff with us which we'll do again and that's that was leadership at at its purest because it's what dentists find in lots of dentists that retain a clinical practice of any kind and myself as well and my organization is tiny but if you're a leadership often exists in the abstract it exists detached from the end user and, and and in a way has to do that because you have to have clarity away from that it's fine to dip in and out of that but the problem i suppose we have is that i'm face to face with the end user two days a week and so so if i go into work to do a leadership day you go know, well so's got a problem can you see them but you were able to have that situation where you existed in terms of the dps thing and on your sections you were with dps like in a true strategic leadership level, which is a
1: fascinating place to live, isn't it? It is, but one of the dangers is that you move of your own volition to a place of rationalization instead of being purely strategic. And if I'm perfectly honest, one of the greatest dangers of the leader, and I'm not talking about leaders in dentistry, but across the whole board, is this failure to separate strategic intent from operationalization and we tend to get drawn in because we're practical people we're dentists we tend to get drawn into the operationalization side of things Um, and that's the danger you weaken your strategic input when you get pulled into operation
0: we've done a lot of very sophisticated work on that despite how small we are and made. i've been instructed and told exactly what my role is when i'm non-clinical by my team they are very clever people which is culture and vision and that type of stuff. But when I, I did, a we did a 360 appraisal process. And then, um, so my 360 appraisal process, I was really proud. Mine was I was really proud of, it, except the fact that people said, just for fuck's sake, stop solving other people's problems. Because it's hard to walk around the thing that you created and go, sorry, I'll grab that. And that, but that weakens your part of that role that you have, doesn't it? It does. And it is very difficult to do the Wazzle Gummage head on head off then but that is in fact the job you have to do that and you have to say today I'm not doing that and you get it gets stronger and better for that but that type of insight because there are dentists who don't want to run an organization they want to be dentists clinically and that's fabulous and they're so wonderful and useful and helpful but there are other guys who want to build an organization but they often think that they are because they are a dentist who's good at dentistry they therefore have the ability to build an organization which is absolutely irrelevant to the actually having the ability to do that isn't it which is fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so we've, the uh, this is fantastic and, and really insightful stuff for people who are interested in this and also interested in who John Gibson actually is because the danger coming up, isn't it, is that John Gibson will be one man walking and that's and that people won't actually realize that the extraordinary difference that you're making and going to make now in that sphere, which we'll finish on in a minute or two, it comes after the extraordinary influence that you've already had prior to that project all right and we i'm keen that's publicly seen and acknowledged i'm also keen that it's acknowledged by you because your influence it's that wonderful situation that's the pebbles and and the ripples and that they continue and continue to ripple and so much of of if i'm able to influence anybody positively whether it's a patient or a delegate or academy is because of the work that you did and that i saw from you we had a very a fascinating interchange which i'm sure I, I certainly hope you don't remember. But we I saw a patient in the clinic in Glasgow, a facial pain patient, a lady, mid-40s, I would imagine. And I said to her, I must have learned this from you, but for some reason you were observing or watching or seeing what I was doing. And I did say to her, Is there any, was there anything that happened around the onset of this pain in your life, which was not very nice, that you could attribute to be perhaps being influential in starting this? And she said, nothing. I said, okay, are you sure? And she said, well, actually, but it was this. And it was, I think, a separation from her husband or something like that. And afterwards, you said to me, never, ever lose the ability to elicit that, that secondary thing from someone. So we have a thing that we do at work, which we've developed, which is based around that, which we talk about. In fact, when I, if I still come, if I'm still allowed to come to Glasgow in November, which we'll talk about at the end of this, I'm going to talk about this a little bit. And we say, are you OK? And people say yes. And we say, "Are you sure you're okay?" And they say, "No, I'm not." And you know that's Billy Conley when he comes out of the shop in America, and they say, "Have a nice day." You're welcome, and he says, "Have a nice day." He shows you're willy. You're welcome because I'm not listening. But you break through that with the secondary thing, don't you? And and if you if that was all that I ever learned from you, and it wasn't, <laughs> that has been used a hundred billion times. To help people
1: yeah but let's cut to the chase and that is that the most exciting thing that you can possibly do as a clinician is bring the patient into that safe space and unpack what it is that lies behind the issue of the problem and i am very old now i never fail to be Absolutely blown away at the end of every clinic as I reflect on the consultations taking place. That an individual can walk in off the street, never having met me or anyone else before, sit down, and within three minutes, we're talking about for them some of the most potent and intimate things that they can talk about. And it's with a total stranger. Yeah. And for me, bringing the student into that consultation and just opening up that moment, that special moment, the chemistry just right in the room. And it is, it can genuinely be career transforming. It can allow you to make about what you're
0: The thing doing. that we, the circumstance we find ourselves in now, I'm a Seth Godin devotee, is a, writes a blog every day, has done for 10,000 blogs. He pretends to be a marketer, but he's a social philosopher. He's brilliant. I've actually met him once. But his blog today, it's like he's writing for me every day. And his blog as today was about the fact basically that If you've learned all that information, that's not clever, because I can find it in 30 seconds on my phone. And all of this stuff that you thought was clever isn't clever anymore. The thing that's clever is humanity, is that. This is what we say to the guys today, right? Doing the dentistry isn't clever. There's a billion courses to teach you how to do that. As long as you've not got 10 bananas for fingers, you can just about get. But what you need now is to be human, because we're dehumanizing almost every aspect of society, which again is from November, so we need to rehumanize part of society and we get the chance to do that. And that's where, if you want to be a ludicrously successful dentist in, in any field, but particularly if you're in a situation where you're asking people to pay for their treatment, there's a, and you spend some time doing that unpacking thing with people and say, "Oh, no, the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I don't want to talk about dentistry. I want to find out who you are. I think if we can teach... These guys, that are the value of that, and that is a learnable skill, isn't it? Then we can go on
1: through. It is a learnable skill, and I learned it from a physician, um, Harry Gray, that I, was one of my senior consultants at Glasgow Royal Infirmary. And I was really stressed at the number of alcoholics coming into the ward. He said, "We're going to do something about this." And he said, "I'll weigh and sit down in the bed with them. One of them join and just have a chat, and make it a two-way street." And it was fantastic. It was great. of advice so you start every consultation a two-way street of who you are and who the patient is and it's a remarkable it's a remarkable settling of them into the clinical environment and it opens up trust between them and it's just
0: just marvelous it just makes your job lovely it's
1: not rocket science is it
0: no okay so to to finish with as part one of this we want to keep this I, we could speak to you forever, but we obviously, the elephant in the room is the project that's ongoing at the present time. Okay. And so, as a result of the terrible events that your family has suffered and the loss of Cameron, okay, we have a wee walk to do, which is starting Monday. Yep. 13th of June. And it's about a thousand miles or so. Don't no
1: 1200. Don't You're listen
0: not, By the time you get to the last 100 you'll not be able to feel it. And, uh, and, we're going to put all of the stuff around this. I'm going to uh, get a donation to the Cameron Trust and the story about the Cameron Trust and, and the loss of Cameron and where you're going to next and the fact and your survivorship journey. And we're going to I'm going to meet up with you somewhere near on the Wednesday first Wednesday second Wednesday in July and I'm going to bring a little portable device probably and we'll just do a little thing chat to you and perhaps both of you if we can. And just have a chat more deeply about what's going on in the middle of it and what happens from that. And and the, whatever goes out with this will be a little description of all of that stuff. Okay, so everybody knows it. So I don't want to go into uh, just in, in detail for the minute for you because we're just on a different subject. I'm not downplaying it in any way, obviously. But, but you also, as one of your projects, you have an event in November, which is a dental well-being event. So there are clearly different strands coming out from this, aren't there? Because there is there is clearly the survivorship of people, families who are living with the aftermath of suicide events. Yeah. And there are prevention and aspects of prevention associated with it. And there is clearly with this event a well-being aspect of things in the hope that to create a better environment, we less people are likely to go down the road of suicide, which I imagine it's where we are. Yeah. So just because I, I'm interested in the day because of a dental wellbeing day and I've had you've even had someone asking me if they can come. I've also had a company asking if they're allowed to sponsor it and they're a very big, wealthy company. So I'll need to give you the details. But
1: tell me about that day. So that day really bounced out for me from the whole lockdown and the brokenness of the dental profession following lockdown and people trying to keep businesses afloat, trying to keep practices afloat, trying to care for patients when they were prevented from caring for patients. Um, really difficult. And I, during that time, had a number of conversations through the Canmore Trust and then through personal contacts of people who were suicidal in the profession, who were very unwell and actually didn't recognise it themselves that they were unwell. Their stress level had taken them uh, to a very... The model of the Canmore Trust is about safe spacing. And that safe space for me might be a different safe space from you. So... The safe space might be within your head, but the safe space might be within your clinic or in your practice or in your university lecture room or your dissection room or wherever it might be. So wherever you are challenged um, by stress and brokenness, you might want to consider how you would develop, augment a safe space within you or without you. And so this whole well-being thing is about asking us to reflect as a profession on how we use the events of COVID-19 and lockdown and all that's happened in that, not to just say how do we double down and do it again, but how do we think about who we are individually, as individuals but as professional people, and also in the role that we have within the profession, whether that's a DF2 or it's a practice owner or whatever it might be, how do I stop and just reflect on where I'm at? and? make sure that my own well-being, my team's well-being, is at the forefront of this decision-making process. And so that's what this Canmore Trust dental well-being event is about on the 4th of November, Friday the 4th of November, in Glasgow. Mike Gow has been the one who's taken forward all the administration for it and has done a So we hope to see as many people as possible. Yeah, we'll help as much as we can with that. Okay.
0: So at the end of part one, I'll ask the question that we're asking every single person that comes to this. And it's a very poignant question for you. So every person who does the podcast gets asked this question and passes on to the person who comes next. But I met you when I was 21. okay, And I remember vividly that time and everything that was going on in my life and my excitement and my fears and the challenges and the conversations I had about who I wanted to be as a dentist and all that kind of stuff. And now I'm 29 years further on from that. And But what I would ask you is, if you were able to meet very briefly with your 21-year-old self now, what would be the one most important piece of advice that you would give them?
1: It's a really good question. And of course, it's very poignant for uh, what we've just experienced as a family. And you might make me cry as I answer the question, but the answer is love with all your heart and love everyone in your sphere of influence with all your heart. And make sure that you give lots of hugs around and care for people inside your family, outside your family, in your sphere of reference, in your sphere of influence. Make sure that you leave nothing undone that you really want to do with your life. Yeah.
0: Okay, that's very good. And and what I expected, but that's the starter for everybody else, so they will not be able to use that. So now they'll have to do something else. John, in terms of recording, I'm going to just say thanks and I'm going to see you in a few weeks. Okay. I'll be coming back from the, just back from the Pyrenees I've been on my bike, but I'll not have done a great deal there for one reason or another. So I'll have done a nice little cycling trip, but we'll see you plan to see you on that Wednesday that we're back and I'll sort all that out. So thank you for your time. All right. So thank you so much for, um, for tuning in for that podcast with John Gibson. Please continue to look out for Campbell Academy podcast stuff if this is of any interest to you and if you want to come interact with us then you can get us on socials. Campbell Academy insta is the best place to find us or you can email us through the website Campbellcade um, UK.